couple of years ago on Wednesday nights, I was going through Philippians. And of course, at that time, we were right in the middle of global pandemic. And still, there was all this uncertainty about it. And there was one of the um, messages from that study came from Philippians chapter 4. And there's a portion of where we're going to be today that was one of my grandpa's go-to verses, and I'll I'll get to it here in a few minutes, but he used to go to this verse um, at the end of memorial services, because memorial services are difficult, and uh, people are grieving and they're mourning, and uh, grandpa would turn people loose at the end of the service to go hang out, usually go to the gym and have some refreshments and food, but he would he would quote one of these verses that we're going to read today um, as kind of uh, an admonishment and an encouragement um, to go do a certain thing as they would move from this room over to the gym for refreshments. I think about this passage often when I find myself stressed in life and feeling a little over anxious. And if you were around Grandpa very, very much, you know that even on hard days he had this way of still smiling and uh, laughing and bringing calm and peace to situations. He got that from the Lord. He got it from the Holy Spirit and commands um, from God for his people and how we're supposed to live. In fact, I have a a friend that tells a story that I've heard often of helping Grandpa and my dad build the stage right here for the Christmas plays one time. And my friend had accidentally hit himself with a hammer when they had set up the stage, and he let a word fly that he didn't mean to uh, fly, let it fly in front of my grandpa and my dad, and it felt kind of bad. Sometime later that week, my grandpa did the same thing. He hit himself with a hammer, and when he burst out, he said, well, praise the Lord. And uh, so my friend always felt guilty that he did that in my grandpa's presence, and extra guilty because of what came out of my grandpa in the same moment. Um, But God commands his people, he calls his people to go through life with unexplainable gentleness and joy and peace that surpasses understanding. And we all need these things, especially now, even even more so right now, it would be so important for God's people um, at such a time as this, where we live in a world that's full of so much conflict and struggles just seem to pile up on our lives and upon our families to hear God saying to his people, I want you to have joy, I want you to experience gentleness and peace that surpasses understanding. And so today we're just going to speak about how we experience these things. Um, Let's just go right to Philippians chapter 4. I'll read verses 1 through 8, and then we'll get to verse 9 here shortly, which is one of those verses that reminds me of my grandpa all the time. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved, and treat Iodia and Senteke to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also, true companion, or yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. 
The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So we have this command from God to rejoice always, in all things, in any circumstances. It's important to remember that when the Apostle Paul was writing these words, he was writing from prison. He was confined to a cell for daring to preach the gospel of Jesus. Put in prison for talking about God's love. And he says from that moment in life, rejoice always. Paul wasn't being flippant. It wasn't this happy-go-luck or happy-go-lucky approach to life, a life that's void of suffering or pain. He was suffering, he was in pain, but he was saying, I have this kind of life that in the midst of suffering and in the midst of pain, I can experience joy. Just in case we didn't catch it the first time, he says, I'm going to say it again, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let me repeat myself, rejoice. And then he says from there, be reasonable or gentle. Let your gentleness or your ability just to be reasonable be known to everyone. Say, when you're in a world that's full of conflict and it's coming at you full bore, you should be known for gentleness. Let it be known to everyone. In the face of injustice that Paul's experiencing, he says, I want it to be known of us that we are reasonable, that we're gentle. Then he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Then he is the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What a promise. That no matter what's going on in the world, what's spinning out of control around you, or it feels like it's spinning out of control, you can have the peace of God, and it will guard your hearts, and it will guard your minds. I mean, who doesn't want that? Peace and calm, quiet, quietness, stillness. Peace that surpasses understanding. And so, yes, the obvious question, how do I get that? He says, finally, brothers, and this is the, the verse that Grandpa used to like to end memorial services with. He knew this is important that people think a certain way going forward. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely and commendable, and if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So we have to make this connection here, and it's this totally life-transforming truth, but it seems so simple. 
what Paul's writing here is that the battle for joy or reasonableness or gentleness, the battle for peace in life, it begins in your mind, the way that you think. He's using some battle language here. And there's a reason for that. If we're honest, at least if I'm honest, I won't speak for you, but for joy and gentleness and peace, these things don't come naturally or easily. What does come easily or naturally for us? It's not joy, it's despair, distress, discouragement, anxiety, worry. When we go through hard times, when we've been to the doctor's office and that diagnosis isn't what we were hoping for, when the circumstances of life are getting worse and not better, despair, distress, discouragement are things that come very easy to us and natural. When we're going through such times, guess what doesn't feel natural? Gentleness. We're stressed out. Speak for myself again. A little easier to snap at the kids, spouse, be insensitive to what others around us are thinking or saying. Prone to be harsh, not gentle. Consider Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6. I won't go there right at this moment. We'll go there a little later. But Three times in Matthew chapter 6, he says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Why? Because he knows that we are prone to worry. We worry about our families, our kids, our spouse, our parents. We worry about finances. We worry about the future. We worry about health. This just feels normal. This feels natural. Then you add everything else that's been going on in the world the last few years and it seems like there's endless opportunities to worry. And so if you put all these things together, joy, peace, gentleness, these do not feel like they come natural to us or easy. There is a battle in your life and in my life to know and experience and live in this joy and gentleness and peace that God calls us to. So where does it begin? Where does the battle begin? Scripture says the battle begins right between your ears. It begins in your mind. It begins with the way that you think. God's telling us in order to rejoice and be gentle and experience peace that surpasses understanding, you must think about certain things. Sometimes I don't even consider what I'm thinking about. I don't know about you, but life just comes at you and life dictates what you think about, right? You don't even stop to think, what am I thinking about? Philippians 4 tells us that what you think determines how you will live. We just talked about this battle going on for joy and gentleness and peace, peace that begins in your mind and the way you think. Why is that important? It's because it's going to change like 
how do you interact with your kids, your spouse, the people you go to church with, the people you work with? It's going to dictate how you behave in the world. And scripture says of God's people, he wants us to behave with joy and peace and gentleness. He wants us to be reasonable. He wants us to be marked by that so the world knows us by that. We must think in a certain way. Proverbs 23.7 says, For as, a, as he thinks, for as a man thinks within himself, so he is. It starts with the way you think. Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. Jesus gives the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. You are to love the Lord with the way that you think. There's some other commands in Scripture that are familiar to us all on these lines. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Do not... Be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, Paul wrote this. He says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, it says, set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, we're told, take every thought captive, make it obey to Christ. Make the things that you think be obedient to the truth in Christ. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 6, tell us this, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. We see it all throughout Scripture. How do I get peace? How do I get life and peace? And we're told, set your mind on the Spirit. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, we have the mind of Christ. We started in Philippians this morning. This is a major theme throughout Paul's letter to Philippi. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, he said, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you and that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind. He's talking to a church and he's saying there should be unity in spirit and unity in the way that you think. You should be making every thought obedient or captive to Christ. And it begs the question, like whose mind do we have? He answers that in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. 
have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And so he's calling, have the mind of Christ. This is why in Philippians chapter 3, he's talking about people who have not yet trusted in Christ or those who have even rejected the mind of Christ. And he says in verse 19, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. Remember what we read a minute ago. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, is given to those who are in Christ to guard their hearts and to guard their minds. Just thinking of the overall story of Scripture. It helps us connect some dots to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 tells us the story of how sin and disobedience to God first entered the world. The story is very familiar. Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 through 6 tell us this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So where did sin first start in the world? It wasn't that they ate a piece of fruit. It started back when the woman heard the adversary say, you won't die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, you'll be like God, and you'll know good and evil. There's a lot that we could talk about here. There's plenty of sermons that can be done here for, for weeks. But in other words, what he was tempting her with was this idea that you should be the one who determines what is good and evil. It is up to you, and it's not up to God. And the woman thinks about it and says, yeah, it does look good. It looks good for food. It's appealing to me. It will make me wise. It's desirable. Then she took of it, and then she ate it. Sin started in her mind and then followed with action. The way you think will determine the way that you live. It always starts in our minds. Sin always starts in the way that we think. We think our way is better than God's way. That our thoughts are wiser than God's thoughts. This is where sin starts. We fail sometimes to even think about what God's way is. So sometimes we just act in a way that's completely contrary to God because we just 
haven't given any thought to what he would want us to do. Sometimes we just act in open defiance and rebellion. Either way, sin starts in our minds, thinking we are the ones who determine what is good and what is right. Here's another example. I mentioned Matthew chapter 6 earlier. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus telling us not to be anxious. He has a remedy for it. Verses 25 and 26, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Do we hear this? Do we, we understand what Jesus is saying? He's saying, do not be anxious, and this is how. Look at the birds. Think about the birds. Faith here, according to Jesus, says you stop and think. God provides for the birds, and I'm more valuable to him than the birds. Therefore, God will provide for me, which means I should not have to worry. According to God, thinking is the antidote for worry as we live in this world. Our mind is a battleground constantly. What takes place between our ears can get chaotic and cause our lives to be chaotic. If we don't understand, it's a battle constantly. And our minds need to re be renewed by the Lord constantly. Obsessively dwelling on thoughts about finances or illnesses or loss, loneliness, isolation, dejection, rejection, this list could go on and on. Dwelling obsessively on those things will impact the way that we live. It will change the way that we act. The Bible's instructing us here so strongly over and over again because there's a war going on. We have thoughts that can spiral quickly in very unhealthy ways. We're living unhealthy internally in our hearts and our minds. We're not at peace, but they're full of anxiety. That will impact our relationships with one another and everybody that we encounter the unhealthiness in us will create unhealthy relationships but the Lord says over and over you have a choice about what goes on between your ears you have a choice what you think about it's almost it's almost hard, right, when you think about some of the really troubling things going on in life. And here's Jesus saying, look at the birds. Are you kidding? I don't want to go bird watching right now, Jesus. What he's doing is saying, fix your thoughts on what is true. I take care of them. I take care of you. There's a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's a famous preacher from the past. 
He says this, he says, Christian faith is essentially thinking. The problem with most people, however, is that they will not think. Faith can be defined like this. Faith is insisting upon thinking that everything seems determined to bludgeon and knock you down. The trouble with the person of little faith is that instead of controlling your own thought, your thought is being controlled by something, and you go around and around and around in circles. Read the end of that again. The trouble with the person of little faith is that instead of controlling your own thought, your thought, the way that you think, is being controlled by something else, and you go round and round and round in circles. Remember Jesus saying to people at times, you have little faith? Your thoughts were causing them to go round and round in circles because situations or circumstances were thoughts. We do not always have a choice in our circumstances. Sometimes they just come. And Philippians 4 tells us that you do, in the midst of those circumstances, those unexpected circumstances, you do, do still have a choice about how you think in the midst of them. God's word is saying, don't go around and around and around in circles, being controlled by the circumstances or the situations, dictating how you think. He's saying, stop, don't do that. He's saying, stop and think. I want to clarify something that's very important here. Because when I say all this, I'm speaking specifically to followers of Jesus. And the reason I want to make this specific clarification is because it's Jesus who makes this truth reality in our lives. The Bible teaches that we've all turned away, that all have sinned, all have believed in their own ways. The Bible says that this is another sermon, but that does all kinds of things to the mind when we turn from the things of God and decide that we're going to do things our own ways. Hard towards God, hostile to God, blinded by truth. These are just some descriptions of those who turned away from the Lord. Focused on the things of the world, actually enslaved to the world, controlled by the world and its ways. Ultimately, the Bible teaches that if we die in that state, we spend eternity experiencing God's judgment due to sin. The good news of the Bible gospel tells us that God loves us regardless of who you are or what you've done, that he sent his son to pay our price, died on a cross, experienced God's judgment and wrath towards sin in our place so that when we place our faith and our trust in Jesus and turn from sin and turn from ourselves towards him, that we can experience God for us. Not only that he forgives our sin, that he gives us a new heart and a new mind, and that he gives us supernatural power from the Holy Spirit and gives us the ability to think completely differently than those in the world. This is not self-help stuff this isn't a power of positive thinking which ultimately is just futile 
Bible says what the Lord's going to do is not create a better version of us. He's going to create an entirely new us. Mark chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In the Bible, we are called to die to ourselves, to pick up a cross, and to experience an entirely new life in Jesus as we follow him. If we've done this, we, have, we now have not a better version of us in mind, but we now have the mind of Christ that we're called to. A different mind. A life that flows from his mind to all who say, Lord, I trust in you. And so I would urge everyone today to put their trust in Jesus, put their trust in God's love, and let him transform your life not just for today, but for eternity. Let's bring this home for all who have the mind of Christ. We are no longer enslaved or subject to the worldly ways of thinking. We already looked at 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, where it says, take every thought captive, make it obedient to Christ. I want to remind you of the context of that verse. The verse that comes before it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Then it says, We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Don't miss it. Scripture's saying there's a battle going on between our ears. But all who are in Christ have supernatural weapons available to them to destroy the stronghold of thought, arguments, opinions, destructive patterns of thinking that go against God's word. You are not subject to those strongholds. You're not subject to those arguments and opinions and destructive patterns of thinking if you are in Christ. He's given you every tool needed to take them down. For those who are in Christ, who have the mind of Christ, the power of the Spirit of God in them, when you something in life that's unexpected and you feel yourself starting to spiral downward with anxious thoughts by God's grace you have the power to stop to choose the way that you think say God I'm choosing not to be overwhelmed by this circumstance in life I'm choosing to trust you I'm choosing to believe in your word I'm choosing to believe in your good and your purposes for my life. You have the choice to stop and to think and to stand on promises like Romans 8.28 and say, no, I know that God is working all things together for my good because I love him and I'm called according to his purposes. This transforms the way that we 
This is a side note, and I'm, well, I want to be cautious to even mention it because I could go off on a long rabbit trail here, and I'm not going to, but I'm just going to mention this. Another important thing to do is stop thinking about what others think of you so much and think a lot more about what God says about you. <laughs> Count me among the people where doctors walked in and said, This is the report, this is what I have to say about you, and then been overwhelmed by what the doctor just said about me. Should I stop them and say, Okay, I hear you, but I'm not going to fixate on that. I'm going to go ahead and fixate on what God has said. God's calling us over and over again right now, today, to think. Think about these things. It's this complex mathematical equation problem. The kind that requires complex, prolonged thought, contemplation, meditation, right? When Jesus comes and he says, I want you to change the way that you think. When Paul comes and says, think on these things, change the way you think. They're saying to us, you need to have prolonged, complex thought patterns about what God says about you, about what God says about his people, about what God says in the midst of suffering and pain and hard circumstances. God calls his people to prolong thinking on certain things. We are to fix our mind on certain things. We all know what it is to fix our mind on something. It's a new year, right? So a lot of people, perhaps you might be one of them, started the new year thinking, I'm going to get on a health kick this year. We start fixating our minds on certain ways of eating or exercising. And it's real annoying when you're around one of those people at the first of the year, right? And they just started that because it has a way, because they're thinking about it constantly. So it comes out. They just talk about it constantly. And in your mind, you're sitting there and you're just thinking, you're going to be done by February 1st, you know? <laughs> After we failed at that a few times, we just quit doing that, right? But, you know what it is to fixate on something. You think about it constantly, so you verbalize it. You can fixate on a certain, 
person so much that you can't get them out of your mind. You can fixate on work. You can't stop working. You can fixate on the news, constantly looking for the latest terrible updates. Some fixate on social media, constantly looking for the latest post, the latest video. We give so much attention to things that we get fixated on. All kinds of things going on in the world that we are prone to fixate on. In the middle of all of it, God says, fix your mind on things. Consume yourself with these things above everything else. So whatever that you decide to eat or whatever exercise you decide to do, whatever work you decide or play or social media, in all of it, while all that's going on, fix your mind on these things. And the Bible tells us what we're supposed to think about these things. It's pretty comprehensive. In Philippians chapter 4, the word whatever is used six times. And then it says, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about, ponder, consider, fixate your mind on whatever is true. If the battle for joy and gentleness and peace in our lives begins in the mind, and certainly the battle begins with believing what is true. You will not have joy and gentleness and peace if you start believing what is false, especially if you're believing false things about God. Just ask Adam and Eve, right? Sin entered the world and destroyed their lives because they did not believe what was true about God. We will not experience joy, gentleness, and peace in life if we don't believe what's true about Him. Fix your mind on what God says about you, not what others say about you. Fix your mind on the truth about what God says. So much anxiety and worry and stress that goes around in life is built on lies about who God is or what he's doing. I want to end this morning with just a few questions. It's kind of a test. I don't know what time it is. I just feel like I'm going too long, so we're going to end here. Second service might be longer because I'm going to have breakfast between services and some coffee. But uh, what's your mind fixed on? Whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable or admirable, fixed on those things that are excellent and worthy of praise. This is pretty comprehensive. Told, fixate on these things. Whatever is true, and then whatever is honorable. This this is so great. Some translations there are noble and dignified. This is basically something on a higher plane, something that's worthy of respect and honor and awe. 
So much of what we fixate on in life is not worthy of honor and respect and dignity and awe. We get fixated on things on such a lower plane so easily. Scripture's saying, don't fixate on that stuff. Fix your eyes up here on things that are honorable. Don't fixate on things that are frivolous and meaningless, sometimes dirty or vulgar. God says, lift your mind out of that. Don't live down there. Whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever is just. Whole sermon there. Whatever's just. I'll just say this. Something is not just if it's not true. These things are connected. Fixate your minds on what is pure. What a great word. Pure motives, pure desires, pure words, pure thoughts. Flee anything that's not pure. Fixate your mind on whatever's lovely. Just think about how the Bible describes love. I mean, start in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Think and ponder and fixate your minds on whatever's patient and kind and humble. Not that which is envious and boastful or arrogant or rude, self-centered or resentful. Scripture says, have nothing to do with those thoughts, but think about those things that are lovely. Whatever's commendable or admirable. Things that are edifying. Anything excellent, worthy of praise. If there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. It's so easy to just turn this around and so obvious and say, don't think about the opposite of these things. Don't think about those things that are untrue. Don't think about things that are dishonorable. Don't think about things that are unjust or impure or unlovely or uncommendable. Choose to remove those thoughts from your mind. Choose to make those thoughts captive and obedient to Christ. Christian faith involves thinking. It involves removing those thoughts from our mind and saying, no world, I won't fixate on those. I'm going to fixate on the things of Christ. So I'll give you all a homework assignment knowing that I have no ability to grade you later and you don't have to turn in any work. This is just all on you. It's just an encouragement. If you want to experience joy unexplainable gentleness and surpassing peace in your life, then I encourage you to ask and answer these questions. You could spend some time today or this week thinking about it. And they all start with a very specific phrase. In what specific ways do I need to replace untrue thoughts with true thoughts? In what specific ways do I need to replace dishonorable thoughts with thoughts that are honorable? In what specific ways do I need to replace unjust thoughts with thoughts that are just? You can see where I'm going with this, right? 
This homework comes straight from Scripture. In what specific ways do I need to replace impure thoughts with thoughts that are pure? And we continue down the list. I specifically replace unloving thoughts with thoughts that are loving. And how do I specifically replace uncommendable thoughts with those that are commendable? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request known to God, and then He will give you peace that surpasses all understanding and guard your hearts and minds in Christ. Hearts with everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us in a way that delivers us, sets us free, God, to not be held captive by the thoughts and patterns and customs of this world that lead to death and despair, but that you've called us to life and life more abundant in you, that you have set us free to have the mind of Christ, that you desire that we would experience joy and peace, peace that surpasses understanding, and that we would be gentle and reasonable in every circumstance. We are understanding today as we read your word, and see this throughout your word, that what you want to do is change our hearts and change our minds. You want to change the way that we think as we surrender to you and say, Lord, have your way in me. One of the things that has to happen is you change our thought process. And so, Lord, as we look at your word today, we understand we have homework. But we do not do this homework um, alone. We don't do it without your presence. We do it understanding that you are faithful to walk with us every step of the way and empower us by your spirit to do these things, Lord, to shed that old way of living and to live the new life that you called us to in you. And so, Lord, I ask that your word and by your spirit today, that anything that needs to change within us, change in our hearts, change in our minds, change in the way that we think, that your word makes that so clear today, that your spirit comes inside us today and says, I will walk with you, and I will empower you. for all those things.